0: You know, I just love that last song because, you know, I know it's been some time that we went through the Pentateuch and Leviticus and Numbers, but those things really make an impression on you, you know, when you spend six, eight months in a book. And that we know that those are typologies, you know, and and Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Coming through the door is the way. Coming to the altar, you tell the truth. And then you get into the inner holy of holies before the Lord, it's life. And you look in, I think this is Exodus 23. Don't hold me to that. But I think maybe 26 actually. The Lord talking about the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat. It's where the vertical meets the horizontal. We come in, having you know, represented by the high priest, right, in their time. We come in, we on the horizontal. The Lord comes in His mercy. He said, "There I will meet with you, and I will speak to you." And it's the way it is in Christ, isn't it the, isn't the same? He's you know that word, mercy seat. In the Greek, is propitiation. So because our sins are forgiven, God will speak to us. He'll meet with us. That's the promise that he have, we have as believers. He's not left us here as orphans. He's with us as long as we come his way, right? Beautiful. Love that song. <laughs> but anyway, we're in uh, Prophet Amos tonight. If you have a Bible, if not, there might be one in front of you there bro help yourself and um, Amos you know it's after Ezekiel you know Daniel Hosea Joel Amos okay you just keep keep going go to Ezekiel and keep keep going to the right <laughs> and you'll get there and we're in chapter 3 Read the first eight verses here to start with. Hear this that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he has caught nothing? Will a bird fall into a snare of the earth on the earth where there is no trap for it? Will a snare spring up from the earth if it has caught nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city... Will not the people be afraid? If there is is calamity in a city, will not the Lord have done it? Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? You see the beauty in which this message is delivered, I mean, there's, you know, we can pick a little bit of it up in the English, but it's more so, but this is a message for Israel, and as I was reading through this, this is, it's like the Lord said, I've had enough, and we've kind of picked that up as we went through Joel's, like, the cup is full, it's like the Lord says, I can't do this anymore, I mean, he talked about this last week, the, the burden I can bear it no more. It's like the Lord is carrying this heavy load their transgressions and their attitude. I just can't take it anymore. You know um, I want to l- look at this because you want to, you know, as you read through these things and think, oh my goodness, this is an Old Testament prophecy. What has this got to do with us? Right? You know, you can, can cop an attitude when you're reading through some of the Old Testament like, well hey there's nothing new under the sun We have sin natures just like them. We act just like they do, but we don't realize it. Different times, different cultures. You just try to get it personal. I like to frame it in the idea of God being our parent. You know, I've often said this as a pastor. God is parenting me as I parent the congregation. As a parent, God parents me as I parent my children. And that's one of the ways we learn how to parent our kids. How does the Lord discipline us? How does he train us? And it's a, an important uh, lesson to, to learn. And there comes a time, you know, when you're raising kids and training children, that, you, you know, you, 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 you're just, you're topped out, right? And you know, let's be honest. They can wear you down. They can wear you out. But we love them, and this is what we can't miss from this thing. God loves his people. That's why he's going to punish them. If he didn't love them, he would let them just go. Let, just go your way, and it's on you. You made your choice. But he's, he loves them. And uh, think about this. He created this nation. They are, Israel, this is so funny, for a Jewish person to be an atheist is an oxymoron. You are, the very evidence of your existence as a nation, as a people, is proof that there's a God in heaven. Because your dad, apparently at some point, wasn't able to. Abraham, God healed him, I think. His, their mom, Sarah, was barren. You know, and God was, the, the nations had rebelled against the Lord. The Tower of Babel, chapter 11. Chapter 12 says, okay, that's what you guys want to do? I'll make my own nation. So as the Lord does, he takes the least favorable candidates. I'll take this old guy and this barren woman and I'll make my own nation. Isaac was a miracle child. Thus, the nation of Israel is a miracle. So you understand the issue of being an oxymoron. You wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a God in heaven, right? But of the whole family, he brought them out of Egypt. And so if you go back to chapter 3 and chapter 6 of Exodus, you'll see that I will be your God, you will be my people. I'm going to express loyal love to you, that hesed love, No matter what you do, I'm always going to do what's best for you and what's in your best interests. I have loyal love to you. I only expect loyal love in return, and that's the old covenant. You know what? It's the new covenant too. Has not Jesus shown us loyal love in laying down His life? I don't think you can show any greater love than to lay down your life. What does He expect? same thing. He expects you and I to lay down our lives, express loyal love. We're going to fall short where he didn't, but that's where his mercy and grace comes in. This message is being delivered to the nation of Israel and it's, there's going to be no stopping what's coming. They have essentially sinned away the day of grace. Now, I'm going to step out here a little bit, and I believe that we have also, as a nation, the United States, we have crossed the line. I think it's coming, and we can pray for mercy, which we should, but I want to say this to the household of God. God knows how to separate the righteous from the wicked when he measures out judgment, we are under the blood that doesn't because we live here in this country, and if the nation is being judged for its wickedness, which is what's coming, you can't continue to murder millions of babies every year and get. You think God's going to turn a blind eye, and for the, all the other crimes that are being committed regularly, most of them are crimes against children, and that's the worst crime that you could ever commit against God, is to harm the innocent and we're we're, going to get, it's coming. It's coming like a freight train and nobody's going to stop it. This is the same situation here. The 10 northern tribes are completely ideologists. Every one of their leaders were wicked. We think we've got it bad. Well, we have, but not quite as bad as those guys. Every one of them was wicked. And so we're going to see how God, even though they are unique, they're like no other nation, they are part of his family. They are his children. That's why you know, he called them the children of Israel. They're his kids. He loves them. And so as God's kids, we have a higher standard. They had a higher standard than the nations around them. They were giving what? The oracles of God. They were given all the ritual. If you're going to come into sacred space, if you're going to worship me, this is how you go about it. If you don't follow it, you could die. And I don't want you to die. So, priest, this is the way you handle it. Even the priests that got out of line, Nadab and Abihu, what happened to them? They violated this. You know, this is one of the things that's missing in the church today, in the people of God. It's the fear of God. The spirit of the fear of the Lord. Think about that. It's Isaiah 11, if you're familiar with the scriptures. The sevenfold work of the Holy Spirit upon the Messiah. And one of them, which I find incredibly amazing is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Why would Jesus need the spirit of the fear of the Lord? Because he's a man. He, you're walking by faith. You don't see. You know, Yahweh's not right there. You know, the, the voice, you may hear, but you don't see. And so therefore, faith is required. Remember, Jesus walked and conducted himself as a man. He had the spirit without measure and faith without measure. He was without sin. That helps. (laughs) Trust trust me, that helps, right? Wow. And so having a higher standard means when you get on a line, you're gonna get convicted. And that's a good thing. It doesn't feel good though. I never I've never enjoyed being convicted of sin. I never like to be told you just crossed the line. And I know that as a child being corrected by parents I never liked getting a spanking. I never looked forward to that. I tried to put a couple pair of pants on. My kids did the same thing when they knew it was coming. <laughs> Spankings are painful. We don't like pain. But since you were chosen and redeemed and I have a higher standard and you're not doing it and you're not listening you know that's part of Think about that as um, God doesn't let us slide just because we have a fallen nature. Mm. Oh, well, I know. I know they're product of Adam and Eve's sin. No. You know, he didn't let Job get away with, even though he was suffering and it was a horrible situation with his health. What does he tell him when he's talking to him? Stand up like a man. And I will talk to you, and you will answer me. Right? Because he knows we're capable. It's an attitude that he deals with. And this is what we do with our kids. We, we know what certain attitudes will produce. And as, as a parent, we learn to catch it before it's taking root and deal with it, hopefully, right? Steer them in the right direction, redirect, you know, one of the things about being a parent is, first of all, you don't know what you're doing. Well Let's just be honest, right out of the gate. I mean, this is like, you know, they're not birthed with a, you know, manual. This is the only manual you'll get for raising kids. <laughs> and so you don't want to, first of all, you don't need to be defensive because we're all on the same boat when it comes to parenting, right? So just learn to, you know, be be teachable when it comes to there's always something you can learn and once you get one figured out and then you got another one right Ah, and they're all different too so God doesn't just raise us what what does that imply if if we're being raised um, means we're you know um, we have food we have clothes we have shelter all the material things are taken care of we're being raised that's not all there is to parenting is there It's called training. And now think about how God does with you and I. He's training us, He's teaching us, He's showing us how to walk, how to live. And think about too much is given, much is required. That's the principle. You're given a lot. You know about God. He's going to hold you accountable for what you know, not what you don't know. And He's fair. Isaiah 1 2 says, Hear, O heavens, Give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. That's a pretty... That word nourished isn't just food. It's gadol, and it it involves, you know, feeding and providing for them. Uh, But it really goes deeper. It actually means to twist into greatness. So the idea of God nourishing us is, is the physical is secondary in God's mind. It's character and attitude. You know, you you know. Well, you know, if, as long as we provide a good environment for our kids and they go to church and they learn that, and you know, we kind of think that they'll get it by osmosis. Well, you know, sometimes we say this. Sometimes we can define grace, but it's better to be modeled. And you see what it looks like when it's in somebody's lives and they're exercising it towards you. And that's, you know, the the responsibility of the family comes down to us as men. And we have a threefold role that we play as parent of our children. We're the prophet, we're to speak and represent God accurately to our kids. And so when we fall short of that, we need to be real about it and, and, and let that be known that we fail. But we still doesn't remove the responsibility of representing God, speaking for God. that's why you just teach the kids the scriptures. Read the scriptures to them. Bring them the voice of God. And I'm telling you, I think that's the only way you can raise a child because you can't make them do something. You can't change their will. They have to surrender it and they have to develop that fear of the Lord. As the priest means I'm praying for them and I'm praying with them. Uh, As the king, means I rule with grace. I rule with love. And I am responsible for that household as I will give an account to God for my household. You think again, he's the king. How does he rule in our lives? The Lord's the prophet. He's the one that speaks to us. Right, He he models this for us in his working with the children of Israel and that you see it in the church as well in the New Testament if you're looking for it. But this whole idea, if you understand nourishing it, twisted into greatness, that means, I don't know about you, but twisting, you know, it can really mess you up sometimes. You don't, it's not natural, it's not natural to be twisted. It's like it's that, that, cord that's being twisted is going against its natural the fibers are being twisted and bent and shaped and God does the same with with us and he had been trying to do that with the northern ten tribes and you know what we ain't doing it their foundation was wrong wasn't it you know you really they never had a chance coming out of the gate Jeroboam set up a false god idol calf worship and the poor people had no chance And I look at what's going on in the world today, and I think most of the families in this country, most of the families in the world without God, without the true and living God, they don't have much of a chance to live right. Right out of the gate, they've got everything going against them because our natures are so contrary to truth anyway. Verse... Moving along here, he says in verse 3... Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now these are rhetorical questions, which naturally is no. (laughs) Just for the record, right? Um, Walking together speaks of companionship, being united uh, with someone, and you know, agreed. You know, you, you come to the same opinion. You know, if you're, if we're all reading the same book, and we're all worshiping the same Lord and we all learn the same principles, there's going to be a unity. It's just a natural result. You'll come to an agreement uh, about a lot of things. Um, There's a lot of things in the church, the body of Christ, that people don't agree on. I think that's probably why we have denominations. Are denominations sin? No, I don't think so. I think God is gracious. I think he's merciful. I think denominations at the very core have to do with personality types. Some people... Or you know, you think of high church, the Gothic, huge. I just makes me feel that God is so big, and they've. If you found God in that, you're gonna be you're gonna be comfortable in that. You put me in that, and I'm like, can we go now? <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna be comfortable in that. So everybody has their preferences, right? And that, and I think God. Is flexible, so to speak, with that. What he's looking upon is the heart. Do you love me? Do you, do, you, do you express loyal love to me? I have it for you. And however you want to do that from your heart in sincerity, uh, it blesses him. So it's not the address. It's not the name on the sign. It's, it's what's in your heart. And this is what God uh, looks at. Everybody has different ways of perceiving things. Everybody probably have a little different interpretation of this or that, and that's fine. Um, you think about First Corinthians 12, the gifts of the Spirit, there's different ways that the same gift works differently in a person. There's diversity of gifts, diversity of uh, administrations. And so we see it, right? The Bible recognizes those characteristics, and that's fine. But we can still be agreed. Now, when it comes to denominations and certain things, are there non-negotiables? You're all non. Yeah, there are. Well, help me out here. What would you consider, in your Bible knowledge, what would you consider as, let we'll just name a few of them, what, what would be a non-negotiable from your perspective and your understanding of the Scriptures? The deity of Christ. The resurrection of Christ. Virgin birth. virgin birth. You may not believe it before, but you better believe it afterwards, right? After conversion. Why is that important, by the way? And which means... And he... Yeah. Yeah. He didn't have the sin nature um keep going there's uh, there's probably seven or eight anyway we've got 3 or 4 oh. yeah he's yes there's no he is yes exclusive the way the <laughs> the way the truth and the life okay um Cre- he's the creator so well, it, You know, we don't have to use this word, but do do we believe in a triune God, the Trinity? You know, the Father, the Son, they're co-equal. What do you receive when you get saved? Yeah. Now, there's differences on what happens, right? And that's where some of these denominational things come in. Is there a a difference between being saved and receiving the Holy Spirit? and then being baptized by the Holy Spirit. Can, you know, it, I can show you the difference in Scripture, but not everybody appreciates that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, it, how about the doctrine of hell? Is that a non-negotiable I mean if Jesus said it's real, I'm pretty sure it's real. <laughs> I'm gonna take his word for it. How about you? <laughs> go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, very good. So you get the idea, go ahead. This is actually the written word of God. Yeah. Yeah. I and I here I I wanna put out my philosophy when it comes to the word. I have seen this happen. And I am a product of it. If you will stick your nose in this book and never take it out, and you walk with God, unless two, except two walk you know, together, except they be agreed, right? So you're agreeing that this is, that was another non-negotiable. This is the infallible word of God. <laughs> we don't judge it, it judges us. And you can find all kind of critic. Well, they, you know, it's man and, and there's heirs there's and there's this. You know what? Stop. There's enough there to, to get you to heaven. So straighten up and stop that kind of talk. Let it speak to you. Trust the word. If you will st- stick your hand, nose in here and never take it out and you pray and walk with God, you will be regenerated. You'll be renewed. You don't need some special psychotic help. You don't need a psychiatrist. You don't need a Bible study. You just need to study the Bible. Because those things become crutches. Now, granted, people get stuck in their walk. And they don't always know. But I can tell you what. If you walk with God, he's able to communicate, you got a problem here, bro. You need to deal with this. We don't have any problem understanding when we're getting convicted. I don't know about you, I have no problem. I don't like it, but I have no problem having it happen to me. It happens. And it's because I'm in the word. Or if I'm talking to my wife sometimes. <laughs> She's it. <talking. laughs> That's, how humble are we going to be, right? <laughs> and so these are important things, you know, to, to know. And as he said there, this this punishment is coming to them and they're not going to get out of it. But notice in verse 7 and 8 there that it's it's the Lord's business. And when he's about to do something, he always tells us that he's going to do it, and we hear a lot of voices. How many? I'm not the first person to say what I said tonight about the United States facing judgment. It's been going on for quite a while, but I think we're seeing what we're hearing now from a lot of Christian. It's the body's aware, the body of Christ, not just the preachers. I'm talking about the body of Christ, you guys, myself. We have an, We're being. Warned by the Holy Spirit what something's coming. These people that are, and this is what we see in this chapter, the foreigners, the enemies invaded the land. He's going to allow these surrounding nations to come in and just rip this nation apart. So let's read it kind of grudgingly. Proclaim in verse 9 in the palaces of Ashdod, which had been along the Mediterranean Sea there, to the West, and in the palaces in the land of Egypt and say, assemble in the mountains of Samaria. See great tumults in her midst and the oppressed within her. For they do not know right, says the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, an adversary shall be all around the land. He shall sap your strength from you. And your palaces shall be plundered. Thus saith the Lord, as a shepherd takes from the mouth of a lion two legs or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out who dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed and on the edge of a couch. Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, says the Lord God, the God of hosts, That in the day I punish Israel for their transgression, I will also visit destruction upon the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will destroy the winter house along with the summer house. The houses of ivory shall perish. I mean, great tumults, violence, robbery, enemies coming in, plundering. Adversity in every corner all around. They lose their strength. They're not going to be able to stand up against this. This is the thing that concerns me. We've got millions that have poured over the, li- the over our southern border in the last four years, and I can tell you they're not all immigrants. They're not. They're criminals. Some of them are military type people. I. I mean, I. It's just. You just can't find words for what this, the weight, the, the the sorrow and the suffering that potentially is going to come. And our nation deserves it because we've rebelled against God. We've turned our back on Him. Even the church. In a moment, they're going to be removed from the land. I'm not saying that about us, but I'm just saying this is, you know, this is one of the reasons that He... Uh, brought Israel in to bring judgment upon the nations. Seven nations were devoted to destruction. Kaharim, they were. there's no way out. Their, their bloodlines, their demonic worship, I'm done with them. And Israel, you are my instrument of judgment. I'm taking them out. The land spewed them out. This is what's going to happen. God, the, our land is polluted with blood of the innocents. And he's going to get rid of them. He's going There's gonna be depopulation in our country. Snatched away, even while in bed. That's essentially what it says. You know, that, an animal comes. It's with, with with force. I mean, there's there's no stopping this. I mean, this is very graphic. the The palaces are plundered. All the stuff, the wealth, you know, these, the palaces were like massive and they, they were a symbol of their prosperity and their wealth. But just like God announced that he would prosper them, Jeroboam II is the uh, king at this time. Earlier in his administration, he had about a 40-year reign Earlier on, Jonah said, hey, you, you know, the Assyrians are caught up in what they're doing. And so there's like a little bit of lull and oppression. And so they were able to take back some of the land and they actually prospered in the first part of his reign. But now that prosperity and that the gluttony of that, that prosperity has spoiled them, and hardened them in their rebellion against God. And now he's speaking. Think about this, God doesn't do anything except he reveals verse 7 there and we'll end with this. How many people are and how many, how many can bear witness to that, this judgment that's coming upon our nation? Many. Many can. But the Lord does nothing except he reveals it. Think about how he spoke through Elijah, what was going to happen to uh, Ahab and Jezebel. I mean, you see uh, Elijah and his ministry what would happen you know god using jehu you know he, he he's you know it's being downloaded so to speak into elisha and he's in front of jehu and he's like he just begins to weep because he knows what this guy's going to do he's going to rip the women open with child i mean just just unbelievable but he gives people fair warning It doesn't come as a shock. And people know why it's here, why it's come. If that doesn't give us um, something to pray about, I don't know what will, right? I think we really have to pray. You know, and and like we said before, you know, now is not the time to be uh, lackadaisical about your spiritual walk your walk with the Lord, your commitment to Christ, your commitment, actually not only your commitment to the Lord, but your commitment to the body of Christ. Because, you know, this is the thing that's been concerning for a number of years is is, is the way we do church in America and the West. You know, it's it's about, and I'm not against big churches. I'm not jealous of any of that. If I wanted a big church, I'd to totally go about my ministry a total different way if it was all about getting people in the church. That's not, my, I'm into making disciples. I want people to know how to walk with the Lord and be able to stand strong in the day of adversity. And if you know how to read your Bible and you know how to converse with God and be obedient to Him and deal with your sin nature and be real, you're going to be you're going to make it through anything. You're going to be able to handle it. But what's happened in our culture is that people come in the door, they sit down, they raise their hands, they worship. Nothing wrong with that. They offer a prayer or two. I hope. I hope, and then they leave. Do they ever interact with each other? Do they? Are there really any major type relationships that develop in a congregation when you have three or four hundred people, or or four or five thousand people, and you're herding them in, in and out, in and out, three, four services, or whatever you want to do. It something's missing. Something's missing. I remember in Bible college, Pastor Chuck said one time to us, he said, Look, if you got a church of fifty people and they love Jesus and they love each other, you got it. You got it. And that's what people are literally looking for today. They're looking for sincerity. They're looking for people to be real. When you walk in and walk out and you don't know anybody, are you I mean that's just acquaintance level relationship. How can two walk together except to be agreed? You know, are you iron sharpens iron? You really get to know someone, and you, ah, I don't know if I like that. You know, can you talk? You know, can you talk through things? That's what friends do. If you don't have friends, what do you have? That's bad. That's rough. You can get it where I'm coming from, right? Let's just pray for our church. I can't worry about. Those guys. (laughs) I can borrow what? This guy. (laughs) Let's just pray that our church grows and matures, spiritually grows, and we really do love each other. We really learn how to image God.